It's that time of week, folks. Sit back and relax as you join us on Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. What's up, everyone, and welcome to Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast. As always, I'm John, and joined by Nate Funk. How's it going, brother? Pretty good, pretty good. Ha- enjoying the weather up here. Uh, we've got it between 75 and 80. Oh, it's 93 here right now. <laughs> well, you know, you were talking earlier in the previous episodes about how it was so nice to be where it was warmer. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I haven't even put in my air conditioners yet in my house, so uh, we're just kind of struggling through. It's supposed to be cooler. Um, we're we're talking with someone today who probably has it a little bit cooler than we have it right now. <laughs> You're right. This week we welcome Laura Keezer of Four Seasons Farm. Laura is a former New Yorker, now resides in Minnesota. Laura and husband Chris raise sonnens that not only are competitive in the ring but also in the milk pail. Laura takes herd management and herd nutrition seriously and works hard to keep her herd healthy. Welcome to the show, Laura. Hi, guys. How you doing? We're doing pretty, pretty good. good. What's the temperature up there? <laughs> I knew that was coming. People think <laughs> we live in like the great white north. Um, it is technically right now 79 degrees and steamy. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah it well. was 85 and steamy yesterday when we were showing all day. So, um, How'd you do? You know, I will say not much to write home about, which is humbling. Um, but you know, that happens and we have phenomenal we have phenomenal air goats in our area in every breed. Um, and so it was just an amazing joy to be out in the show ring for the first time in a year and to have everybody so excited to be there and everybody pitching in and beautiful animals and great people. You, it just doesn't get much better than that. Well, that and you guys had a ton of animals at that show, no? Yeah, it was a three-ring, one-day show. Um, we started at 8 a.m., and I think over 400 goats went through the ring. I don't know when they wow. technically finished. I left after the Sonnens finished, and I think they may have had, you know, they may have had a, I know I had friends there at 9 p.m., and they were still going. <laughs> that um, sounds like my week last week. Yeah. I a, yeah. <laughs> I had a three-hour drive home, so I got I pulled in the pasture i think at about eleven forty, and let the goats out and yeah so. how big of a string were you hauling well typically i take more but this was a little momentous occasion for me too um i only took seven head and i actually drove alone um oh wow i, I almost well i always have a sidekick whether it's a show buddy or mainly my husband mm-hmm. um with me and that just wasn't possible this time and so in a funny turn of fate, um, there's a gentleman that works for my company and we'll get in that later, but he does logistics for our company. And he happened to mention in passing that he enjoyed dairy goats at one time. I mean, it was totally random. We don't know each other very well. Well, when I found out I didn't have a show buddy, I literally called this guy out of the blue and said, 
you wouldn't want to meet me there and really do really sweaty, heavy work, like helping me like with labor type stuff. And he's like, absolutely. Let me call my wife. And they literally came and hung out all day and helped me all day. I'm that so grateful. Is so that is cool. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> so not only did they help me, but I got two new friends out of the deal. Like it was amazing. That's awesome. It's yeah. amazing how dairy goats make that happen for people, right? Yeah, yeah it was totally cool. My coworkers are usually like, oh, you smell like a goat. And that's the end of it. <laughs> well, and actually, the funny, uh, unexpected turn of fate is um, this gentleman, he actually met me at the show the night before on his way home and helped me unload. And then they came back the next day. And he told me as we were unloading that our boss came in, like called him into the office and said, I understand you're helping Laura show goats. What time do you show goats? Oh, wow. So it kind of got through the grapevine. Well, guess what? My boss and his wife and their grandkids showed up on Saturday. That's so cool. Oh, sweet. <laughs> yeah. That so that was pretty awesome. awesome. Well, yeah. since we're there, uh, do you want to tell the uh, listeners what it is you do? Sure. We'll do that. Yeah. Um, so um, I work for Dairyland Laboratories, which is a test, uh, an agricultural testing laboratory. Uh, we do everything from feed, forage, soil, water, molds, mycotoxins, um, you name it, kind of on the ag side of things. So if you've ever worked with a co-op or a nutritionist that potentially is pulling samples and getting analysis for those, um, that's the kind of work that we do. That's awesome. Yeah. Pretty that's cool. great for our topic today, which we'll get to in just a second. Uh, we're going to get through some Add good news and then, yeah, right on to the topic because we have a lot to talk about. It's really interesting stuff. Yeah, um, national show. So national show, uh, there have been some rule changes. Um, right now, they're accepting signed transfers and duplicates for 2021 only. So any animals that you've purchased or any kids that registered and haven't gotten their registrations back yet, you'll still be able to use uh, the transfer registration or stamp duplicates. Um Everyone vaccinated or or not must wear masks at vet check, uh, check-in, uh, milk check, and in the ring. Uh, if you're vaccinated two weeks or more prior to the show, you will get a wristband that says, hey, I'm vaccinated. <laughs> uh, that's all voluntary stuff. I know there were some people that were like, oh, well, they shouldn't have to make us do that. Well, they're not. It's voluntary. Um, if you don't feel like you need to show them proof or you aren't vaccinated, you have to abide by the mask rules. Um, there's still no spectators. Uh, I saw that in the update, which is still, you know, it's a shame, but maybe it'll change. Um, besides that, uh, nothing. Well, yeah, that was kind crazy. of my, my thought on this is in, keep an eye out. You know, we have another month before this happens. You know, yeah, and the rules may change again. You know, they oh, may every, loosen up a little more. They might allow spectators. Everything's um, very fluid. I I know at work we just went to if you're vaccinated, uh, you don't have to wear a mask. Um, so there's still, you know, lots of fluid changes happening. Um, now the one thing that did change that I thought was pretty cool is that exhibitors. Uh, can now watch the show um, via limited seating that they're going to have designated areas. Um, so everybody won't be shunned to the barns where they just are looking at their goats waiting for their turn. So that's pretty cool. 
Because I mean, right. let's face it, as exhibitors, we have friends that have different breeds or we like different breeds and we like to watch it happen. You know, it's the national show. It's a big thing. So it's cool that at least the people that are going to the show can at least enjoy it a little bit. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, it's, it's like the Super Bowl of, of goat showing. I mean, it's, you know, you want to yeah. watch it, you know, hopefully someone can stream it, you know. Laura, are you planning on going to the national show this year? You know, we have been to a few national shows, um, and we certainly had been looking forward to going to Nebraska. And, of course, that um, wasn't possible last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, It would have been super convenient for us, like eight hours. Yeah, Um, for for real. (laughs) But uh, Louisville is not out of the picture. Uh, I think it's it's about a 12 to 14-hour drive for for us. Um, I've actually been to Louisville as a spectator years and years ago. Um, before I started showing at a national level, which I totally would recommend for anyone to do, um, to go, you know, be a spectator when you can and take it all in, um, before ever taking goats, because you just, you just learn so much. Um, but as far as this year goes, I mean, keep going. Sorry. (laughs) Um, as far as this year goes, uh, I would say, you know, we've been planning on it for quite some time. Um, I always say that, you know, we haven't, you know, we'll figure it out as the time goes. We'd really like to go to Louisville with goats. Um, you know, we're just getting our show season started here, so we'll kind of see how things go. And Mm. if my confidence is where it needs to be at the time that I need to make the final decision, um, you know, that's what we'll continue to do. And that's, that's a very important thing that you just said there. If you, if your confidence is where it needs to be, because when you go to a national show, I mean, it's not a bad thing to be realistic. Like right now, my herd is super young. My average age for my does is a year or younger. Uh, so Louisville was never in my mind just because of the age of my animals. Uh, but like you said, if if you have the numbers and and the animals that could potentially have a good year there, why not? Right. I mean, it, you really do. I mean, I think it takes these first couple shows of the season to really show you, you know, for example, the show I went to this weekend, I had high hopes for a two-year-old that I have. Not that, you know, not that I thought she was going to win the show, but I just really thought that she would, you know, in my mind, she's my ideal, right? Yeah. Well, it turns out that she does not like being away from home. She does not like traveling. She does not like it when Nigerians arrive in the pen next to her. Oh, no. (laughs) I bet that happened. (laughs) She did not utter completely, you know, Mm. for the show. So she, you know, she was in the bottom half of the class, you know. So it's one of those. And that's what I mean is, you know, we got to get a couple shows out and see, like, does she, you know, do the animals get used to this kind of thing, you know, to where it doesn't affect them anymore? Or is it a choice where if you decide to go, you make the hard choice to leave that one home because she just doesn't flourish, you know, in that way. Um, Not every animal, you know, has to be bound for nationals. Um, And, you know, a hard lesson learned, too, is the national show is not like your local show. You know, in my mind, anyway, you know, it's you take the select handful of animals that, that you can care for at a utmost level you know, for that week or 10 days of time that it takes you to get there and get home. So, right. yeah. Yeah, great. yeah. I was going to say back there a bit that, uh, yeah, national show is not for the faint of heart and it might not be a bad idea to go scope it out, 
talk to the exhibitors, watch, see how it goes, see how they judge, um, you know, the whole, you know, being checked as you come into the show ring, you know, the cuts, yep. you know, the placings. Um, yeah, I mean, this year too, for example, um, I have a young lady who has, she's shown for me many, many years and um, we kind of have made a deal that, you know, she will show for us at nationals if, you know, if I have duplicates in a class, you know, or something like that. Um, I'm not quite sure how that's going to work out yet, you know, with the, uh, you know, COVID restrictions and those types of things, but it might be the year where if there are people out there that, you know, maybe they are showmen and they're trying to gauge if it's time for them to go, maybe it's time to pal up with, you know, a herd that you admire or have worked with and go along for the week so that you can check in, for, you know what I mean, at the beginning and be part of that entourage and yeah. be part, you know, um, and kind of stay within the guidelines, you know, and those types of things. You can always say she's a family member. Yeah, she might as well be. <laughs> exactly. You can't prove if they, you know, just because they have a different name doesn't mean they're not family, right? That's true. You know, I have a lot of people that don't have my last name that are family, so that's okay. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> uh, moving on from national show, a new office assistant was hired uh, this week. Welcome to Adga, Alyssa Glenn. Um, and also, just to add on that, uh, a new office manager has been hired. Welcome, Sher Sherry Moore. Yep. So that's that's cool. Two uh, positions filled, which is great, uh, especially office manager. That was definitely a big one that needed to be filled. Um, so good luck to them and welcome to ADGA. Um, well, and uh, member directories and guidebooks were mailed out this week as well. Yeah. Yep. So you should be receiving those. I don't know why I, I've opted to get those. Uh, the first year I was a member, I got it. And then the second year, I didn't get it. So I was like, oh, let me click. I want this. And I still have yet to get them. So I'm hoping I can make an, send out an email and be like, hey, what's going on? I want, I want my guidebook and directory. Now, <laughs> under the old website, not to <laughs> put salt in a wound, on the old website, mm. you used to be able to download at least the, the guidebook. I want a hard copy. I like hard. I'm old school. I like hard copies of stuff. Well, one of the things we, we discovered at a show was if you have it on your have a PDF of it on your phone, mm -hmm. it's pretty easy to search. What happened? You have an overhouse that had too much white. No, no. <laughs> but a four H'er who questioned uh, scorecard. Mm. Well. Good on them. Hopefully they yeah. were correct. If not, uh -oh. no, they were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll move on to our topic. And really, uh, the topic this week is ways to keep your goats uh, up to snuff nutritionally. Um, and that's through a lot of different areas. Um, Laura, having sonins, it's got to take a lot to keep weight on them due to their heavy lactations. Uh, what do you guys do on your farm to combat like weight loss uh, due to heavy lactations like that. Yeah. You know, I, I was kind of thinking about this a little bit and, um, I don't want to say we don't have that problem, <laughs> but, um, I tend to breed a sturdy Sonnen, not necessarily a more frail or feminine Sonnen. That's okay. just my preference. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think I see as much of that effect as other people may. 
um, or, you know, other breeders that have different styles of goats, but certainly, um, you know, we have our, our May milk test here, uh, this week, actually right in between shows. Um, oh, nice. <laughs> but <Great. we> might... <laughs> yeah, you, you bagged them last week and you can bag them. Yep. But, you know, I figure, you know, that's just the way to prove the records because if they hold it, you know, between, you know, if they are able to still hold the same production between shows, they can do it at any other time. So, um, I think, uh, last month our herd average, so 12 does on test over half of those does first freshening and most of those first freshening yearlings, I think we're at 12.7 pounds. Um, and I think, uh, our yeah. high doe, our four-year-old doe was at 24 pounds a day. Wow. Um, <laughs> you know, Nate and I saw a son, an aged doe son, and I think she was eight, same, same age as my uh, eight-year-old doe, Jem. Um, and this thing was a milk truck, an yes, absolute milk truck. I mean, this the mammary on this doe and the fact that it was still connected beautifully to the body you know all it was just it was insane i what do you think that doe milked nate if you had to guess oh i i don't think it was 24 but I, i'd say i don't know man she woof, she yeah was it was up there it was up there uh of course it was you know show day so yeah well you know, that's true but knows how I, long she'd been <laughs> that's true but but still i mean it was it was pretty impressive you know well so, so you have the sturdy sonnins. Yeah. I have, I have my doe gem, who is my yearly uh, fight to keep condition on because she just, she's, she's also a milk truck and milks a lot for an Oprah Hustling movie and experimental. And every year, I mean, this year, especially it's just a fight to keep condition on. And sometimes I wonder, is it me being barn blind and just seeing her frail and skinny? But I mean, Nate, you've seen her and she doesn't have the best condition for her no, age, no. probably, yeah. but, but for what she used to be, not really. Um, so I've been trying a couple things, which we'll actually talk about with this topic, but um, yeah. yeah, it's, it, it's definitely, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that have those that they struggle with uh, yeah. to keep, to keep that, weight on with those heavy lactations. Yeah. I would say, you know, to get to the answer to your question, um, that first and foremost, it, there's no magic bullet, right? Yeah, um, for sure. unfortunately, um, for us, and this is going to sound really kind of, you know, quirky, but for us, it's consistency. And what I mean is, for example, um, we feed the same lactating pellet, you know, lactating, you know, pelleted feed all, you know, all lactation. And then we, you know, we switch to a dry pellet, but I mean, um, it's about consistency, you know, so we're milking at the same times we're feeding at the same times we're sourcing the highest quality. hay we can find and afford. Mm. Um, we're storing that as best as we possibly can to, you know, to get the most out of the things that we're paying for. Um, as far as, you know, con feeding concentrates or like pelleted feeds or grains, um, making sure that you have a source that is consistent. And then when you have an issue that isn't that you can, you know, go back to the mill and say, Hey, there's something going on here. Either this, you know, my does aren't eating it. It's falling apart. It's dusty. It smells funny, you know, whatever. And there could have been some kind of, you know, mixing error, you know, something like that. Um, so really it's about being consistent. And then second to that is 
really monitoring behaviors. Um, so what I mean by that is when we first started, um, I went from one milk stand, you know, and how many goats to two single milk stands, you know, as I was milking to try to get through milking faster. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I realized the does weren't, didn't have enough time to eat. So now when we milk and for years now we milk with two, two milk stands that hold two does each. So we have, we milk in sets of four, but we milk two does at a time. So all of those does basically have, I'll say what, two shifts to eat. Okay. Right. Does that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. So instead of saying, okay, Dolly, up you come, we're going to milk you, take you back down and take the next goat up. Um, you know, everybody gets some time to eat when they're, you know, while they're being milked and, or, you know, before or after. Um, and it also, you know, it calms, it calms milking down too, cause you're not rotating animals so often. Um, and those types of things. And that has helped immensely. So that would be the biggest thing I, you know, I'd recommend to someone if they said, oh yeah, I'm, I'm milking four or five goats and I just, you know, I can't keep condition on one or two. I would probably say, you know, try, try putting two goats up at a time if you can only milk one at a time so that you have a little bit more time for them to eat, you know, that type I, of thing. I can't agree with that more. I've actually found myself this year where I was like, man, milking's not taking me very long like it used to. And then I sat and thought, well... Maybe that's because I'm rushing my does. Mm. So I've started, especially with Jem, I, I've started sitting down. I have two milk stands sitting down on the one while I have one doe eating and the other one's being milked or I'm milking her. After I'm done, I just sit down, give them usually about 15 minutes. I'll just sit there and play on my phone or just look out into the beautiful day. And um, I, Ooh, I feel like that. it's, yeah, pretty much. I feel like... <laughs> That's the portion in the intro, folks, where I say sit down and relax. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a little nicer than I am. I won't sit there and give them an extra 15 minutes. But, um, you know, we try to work the work the system around such that, you know, we can still do everything in a reasonable amount of time. But, right. um, you know, and then at the same time, it's not just, you know, you don't want to be hammering concentrate to your does and not paying attention to other things. You know, mm-hmm. we certainly don't want to be forcing a bunch of like super digestible nutrients and then, you know, have an issue on the other end. Right. Um, so, I mean, it goes to, for example, for my dose, water is huge. I mean, yeah. Figure, figuring out what it takes for them to consume as much water as possible. For example, I was at a show this weekend and, and one of the guys that were there, he has a commercial dairy, great guy. And, uh, we were, you know, talking about, he was talking about scrubbing water tanks and how, you know, on a commercial dairy, they have a big couple big water tanks, you know, that all the does drink out of. Yeah. And I said, oh yeah. And, and I mean, this is me, little podunk breeder, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> and literally at our place, the way it works <coughs> is that we have like four or five gallon buckets that sit, you know, outside the pen and one of them has a float on it so that each milking, you know, those buckets get dumped out or emptied but at least they have the one float, you know, floated bucket, you know, to always have water during the day. Right. And without yeah. a doubt, you know, they will continue to just suck water down. You know, it just, if it's changed twice a day, you know, every, there won't even be water left in some of those buckets that, you know, don't have the float in them. Um, as long as the water stays clean and, and fresh. And of course, on top of that, you know, I think importantly as well is managing in times of stress. Um, and what I mean by that is not just heat stress, but 
you know, traveling, cold stress, kidding, um, you know, anything like that. Um, using things like electrolytes and blue light and those kinds of things that, that whatever you can do to keep those animals as hydrated as, as possible during yeah. those periods of stress just helps them recover so much faster. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. The water intake is something that I feel like can be overlooked by breeders, especially at shows or whatever, but water is king, especially with that feed that is going through, they need water to be able to digest it and then bring it back up for their, with their cud. Like it's, it's a big deal. And a lot of, I feel like a lot of people kind of over like overlook that. Yeah. Um, and more than, I mean, even it's water is, is, is magic, right? I mean, yeah. everything is better. I mean, think of yourself, you know, after a long show day, the day after, I mean, okay, you might do, do a little bit of the hair of the dog kind of thing every once in a while, but, <laughs> but most of the time, you know, you're, you're trying to suck water down, you know, if you haven't the day before, you know, things yeah. like that, just to make your body function better, you know, your brain function better, your movement, you know, all those kinds of things. And so I tend to think of our does a lot as I'll say athletes or models, you know, I mean, we're asking them to do things on show days and different things that is extraordinary, you know? It's a, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. We're asking them to stand around between, you know, rounds at a three ring show and we're, you know, all kinds of things. And so whatever we can do to just level out those peaks and valleys, um, I think then lends you to just having greater success. Agreed. Now, we we spoke prior and you gave me some information on, on uh, what it is that you do with your management. Uh, and I noticed that there was, uh, for your feed portion, you were talking about Big Gain Pellets. What exactly oh. are those? Uh, Big Gain is a regional or, or Midwest feed company. Um, so I probably shouldn't have oh, necessarily. Okay. Yeah, it's just, okay. uh, yeah. So like you guys would have Blue Seal or right. you know, whatever. Um, uh, so we have, you know, you've talked with like Sarah Adamson, for example, from Vita Plus. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a number of, of feed companies in our area. Big Gain is uh, most prevalent um, and most available and, and very consistent uh, feed supply. Um, lots of so, people doing really great things with it. So now you mentioned the big gain pellets. Since not everybody has big gain as a brand near them, as you right. mentioned, you know, we've got Blue Seal and different listeners around the country will have different companies near them. What what about what is it about the pellets that you you think helps? Yeah. So much. So what I can say is it's, and I'm going to sound like a broken record. Um, I'm also very type A and I'm also very routine oriented. So I tend to identify with the goats that like to have things the same all the time. <laughs> um, but the, the feed is just very consistent. Um, only, and, and when we go get feed, we go get feed three ton at a time, you know, using our trailer on pallets. Um, so that I only, you know, we we probably go through a ton of feet a month, potentially. Okay. Yep. Um, and so only one, and I'll, 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 I guess I'll explain this in the way of the one time we had an issue. So, you know, we're going along great. And actually we were preparing for a national show. And the week before a national show, I went and got a load of feed. So that was taken care of before I left. Mm -hmm. And we unloaded it and packed the trailer and realized for three or four days, the goats were not eating before oh. we were supposed to leave. 
And Chris noticed there was kind of a, a weird smell. And then we kind of noticed there was a lot of fines from the pellet and dust, which isn't typical. Mm-hmm. Um, and so actually I ended up calling, um, well, Morgan, who you've talked to, uh, yep. uh, works for Big Gain. And she said, you know, we might've had the same issue. Um, what was your, what was the skew or what was the, you know, there's like a barcode or Batch whatever number. on the bag. Yeah. And so I gave it to her. She goes, yep, that was the same. She goes, just call the mill. And as it turns out, you would think we're in a, you know, a small world here, but my husband's cousins run the mill that we get our feed from. I called them, told them about it. They said, oh, we'll check, you know, with corporate or whatever. And they literally said, okay, just keep it. We'll comp it. Come get another, you know, come get another ton. And so we were keep able the to feed that your animals won't eat. <laughs> well, we actually have Holstein steers that we feed out with goat milk. Oh, so, okay. Okay. <laughs> so we're like, yeah, great. Cause we had, all, we had unloaded it all already yeah. too. <laughs> so we're like, we don't want to load this back up and haul it back to you. <laughs> right. But they were really great about it. And they just said, yeah, what happened was they had run a feed through prior to this run for goat feed that had an additive for, for other animals, which, the additive wasn't harmful for the goats. It just caused palatability issues. Okay. Okay. And so it wasn't dangerous. It just was inefficient, you know, and the goats weren't finding it appetizing. And so they said, okay, no problem. You know, we'll just comp it and uh, we'll get you another ton. And so that's what we did. And we've just, other than that, we've just never had a problem. There's, you know, no dust, no smell. Um, the goats can't sort the pellet, you know, cause it's, it's a, uh, you know, pellet instead of a texturized feed. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I hate those that sort feed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have, so I use blue seal most of the time. I'll say when I'm in a pinch and haven't had a chance to get to uh, blue seal, our feed store um, in a while, I'll go to like tractor supplying and get, do more feed just because I know, my does have done well on it in the past. Um, but I also supplement with like, especially for my doe gem with senior horse feed, just to get that fat ratio up. So I cut down on the, like do more the blue seal uh, champion challenge or challenger mix, whatever it's called. Um, Comprene challenger. Comprene challenger. Thank you. Um, so I'll, I'll lower that and raise up the senior horse feed um, I'm not giving her a ton of it just because it's made for horses, not, not goats. Um, so that way it kind of balances out, but as we all know, fresh feed is really the best. So I, I don't like going to tractor supply for the Demore just because who knows how long it's been sitting yep. in whatever warehouse it's at. Um, definitely. I would say to any listener, if you have a chance, if you don't have a feed mill, that'll just pour it right into a sack for you or a can or whatever you bring them definitely uh go to like a feed store for livestock like blue seal or the big gang or whoever I yeah a lot of those really mills important. actually work with a multiple you know um feed companies you know you can probably pick 10 feed company names and and a lot of mills will be distributors you know for multiple um feed companies so you can find the product that works for you um mm-hmm hopefully somewhere convenient for you, you know, that's kind of the other piece of it, but, um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Fresh feed is King. It, sure. it is just like water. 
It's king, you know. You want it to be as fresh as possible. You don't want dusty, nasty stuff that the goats don't like. You want them to like their feed. That's what gives their body nutri- nutrition. You know, if, if, especially for the people that keep their animals on a dry lot or in a barn, and you know they aren't out and running and foraging and doing goat things. Uh, definitely uh, make sure you're not skimping on the feed. Yeah, I mean it's it's easy to think. I think when you're getting started, like. Everything is expensive. You know, goats are not a cheap hobby. (laughs) We all know that. Um, And so it's, I think, easy to think in the beginning. And again, I guess I should backtrack and say it depends on your goals, right? I mean, honestly, if you're going to have pets in your backyard for your family to enjoy, then they can be managed in a minimal manner and they can meet your needs and be absolutely fine, right? There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're thinking that someday you want to be, you know, competitive uh, as far as production, competitive as far as showing, competitive, you know, as far as appraisal scores, those types of things, these all, these things all play into the management of those animals. You can't do management in one day. Right. (laughs) Um, It's the same thing I, you know, say to people when they say, well, what's the value of milk test? It's awful expensive, right? I, I don't need to milk test. I can keep barn weights. Well, milk test is a management tool, first of all. You know, there's all kinds of things on milk test other than just getting a milk star, which is the minimal requirement right? Um, that you can use as a herd owner. But secondly, official milk test is a management proof of your management to other people that you can do this consistently year after year after year, you know, generation after generation. That's your proof that that your animals, you know, produce at this level. And I I just strongly believe that. I agree 100%. Yes, thank you. That's that's the point we've been trying to make. (laughs) Let's um, switch over to hay, because hay has been something where I probably have been a little bit lax in until recently. Um, You guys used to feed small square bales and recently switched over to larger bales, which I did as well. Uh, I've also started using outside state orchard grass bales just because the stuff that's local here has tended to be dusty in the past and not moldy, but definitely like a cow hay, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Not specifically for for goats or, or let's face it, most of the goat hay that we're getting is really made for horses. Uh, What's the benefits of like a great hay quality uh, for your animals? Sure. So this is where we're going to get into some regional differences on how people quantify hay forage quality, because in the Midwest, when you ask someone, you know, well, you know, how do you, what quality of hay do you want? They're going to talk about relative feed value. They're going to talk about relative feed quality. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are, you know, those are the metrics they're going to look at, you know, if they're buying or selling hay, for example. Um, In the East, you know, you're going to talk about crude protein. You might even talk about fiber. Um, you know, a couple of, you know, other types of things. And then in the West, it's going to be, you know, potentially California TDN, uh, potentially digestible dry matter. It's going to be, it's just regional differences on how people gauge um, what they're going to buy and sell. But um, so as far as, you know, the value of high quality forage and, and what to, you know, what does that look like? Certainly you want something that's palatable, you know, you want something that, you know, I'll say looks good, smells good, you know, all those physical characteristics to you. Right. Um, 
And my number one tip, which sounds super simple, is that if you are, you know, there are people that are, that have the luxury that they're able to produce their own hay, you know, if they have ground to do that. And that's great if they can put up a quality product and have the time, labor, and resources to do that. Um, I tend to think that people that manage a smaller show herd, you know, like mine and a lot of other people's, you may not have the land base or resources to make your own hay. So you're then at the sort of luxury of the market, right? Of where you're going to find that and how you're going to source it. Right. So in that, in that situation, your best tool is a, is a hay probe, you know? So if you're going to the auction or you're talking, you know, you're on Craigslist or whatever, you know, search, you know, criteria you're looking for hay in your area, first off asking the person, you know, if they've had the hay tested. Um, it's no different than asking for testing results if you're buying an animal. <laughs> um, right, exactly. And so, you know, if, if they say, oh, no, I haven't tested, but Joe Blow says it's the best thing ever. Like, well, that's great. Um the next <laughs> well, well what is joe blow feeding it to well right there's a whole other load of questions there right so you know if he says no well then the follow-up question to that is one one are you willing are you willing to probe and test it right and maybe you offer to pay for the test or if you're close enough do you mind if i come over and probe it and and take a test myself right um, and usually if they're in the market of selling hay, they're going to say, sure, fine. And would you mind sharing the results with me? Right. Because right. it's a, a value to them as well. Well, it's a good yeah. way to market their hay if it's good. Right. Stuff. Exactly. And it's certainly if they have a lot to move and you're not going to be taking all of it, you know, like it's no skin off their nose. If you want to do the work to come over and probe it, <laughs> you know, um, so, you know, that's, that's the best tool for you to use is to, to, to take a hay sample of something you're considering or something you have, you know, maybe you, maybe you have a stack in the barn that you just need to use. And so you need to know what you have, right? There's, there's nothing wrong with that either. I mean, hay undercover and hay stored, you know, stored well is not going to change in nutrients all that much. Um, so you can pull a sample on that, you know, and it's going to stay pretty steady, you know, for quite a while, especially dry hay. Once you do that, um, you get yourself a, a Ziploc bag with, you know, if you take that hay probe sample, maybe a cup, cup or two cups of sample in that bag from, you know, that stack, send that into, you know, the lab of your choice and, you know, select a test package that, that meets your needs. A lot of labs are going to offer everything from a, you know, in our case, a basic test at $17 up to a, a complete test at $28. Which is still and, not bad. Right. No, absolutely no. not bad. And in the price of the package, um, how that's determined is just based on the, the nutrients and analysis and calculated parameters that you receive back. So for example, when I'm working with dairies and folks who are selling or buying hay from dairies, we're, I mean, we're, they're often using our, you know, a $28 package, which is our complete package because it has all the digestibility measurements um, that we have available. And those are the kind of measurements that they need for their nutritionists to make their diets and to know, you know, how this hay is working in the rumen and working through the digestive tract. So it's well worth, in my mind, you know, doing that. But so you get that test back and you start looking at that and, and looking at the parameters that are important to you, right? Whether it's relative feed value or relative feed quality, 
Um, I bring those two up because I know in the East, there's a little bit of a um, chip on the shoulder a little bit about relative feed value because there's more grass, right? And grass yeah. mixes in the East. And <clears throat> people think that relative feed value, you know, makes their grasses and their grass mixes look cheap. <laughs> and what they need to do instead is, is buy the test package that's a little bit more expensive, get the relative feed quality number, which takes into the digestibility of the grass, and you will get a little credit then on those grasses and grass mixes. So there's my tip. Um, and then, you know, from there, you know, maybe you're looking at the protein, maybe you're looking at the moisture, you know, if you're worried about whether that hay was put up correctly or if there's any mold or something, you know, like that in there, um, you know, and kind of just see, does that meet your need, right? You may be buying hay, for example, um, for certain groups of animals in your herd. Right. I mean, yeah. we have we have what we call rocket fuel hay. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have other hay. <laughs> Same. So, what is the rocket fuel hay? Oh, it runs above 200 relative feed value. <laughs> it's uh, some really super quality alfalfa it's, hay yeah. um, that we feed right when the does are freshening. You know, we start right then and definitely it's the hay we take to shows, you know, things like that. It's not the hay that we feed during the dry period, for example. Um, what, you know, what do you feed during the dry period? So during the dry period, we feed a little bit of a more grassier mix or a lower quality alfalfa, you know, something that's probably, you know, less than 150, probably more than 130 relative feed value type range. Um, Cause they just don't need all those nutrients, right? At right. that time and all that energy. I mean, they're, they're obviously, you know, growing kids and doing those types of things, but you've been over that, you know, with Sarah too. Um, you yeah. just, you just need to be cognizant of, the stage of lactation, stage of growth, you know, those types of things and what's needed um, at that time. And so we do feed a, uh, a dry dough pellet as well. So we do actually through the dry period feed a small amount of concentrate, but not, not a lot, like half a pound. Right. Yeah. Um, just enough to make them feel like they got something. Yep. And you know, it's one of those things like, is everybody up and moving and doing what they should be doing? And, and by doing that, you know, you just make sure that everything, trust me, when it's 30 below in January, you want some reason to get everybody up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now, I, I got a quick, a couple quick questions Yeah. on the hay topic. Mm -hmm. Now, during the dry period, when they're, you know, during the gestation, um, are you graining those doughs? We do, like I said, a little bit, but we feed the same dry dough pellet um, the entire dry period, but we uh, will change the, I'll say the amount that we feed um, throughout the dry period. So it's not much, like I said, no more than half a pound, I think. Okay, um, I just wanted to, to make sure of that. And then what are you feeding the box? Ah, my bucks get fed um, the same feed my kids get. I have a kid pellet um, because it has ammonium chloride and, you know, the minerals right. kind of match up for the bucks. So my bucks are getting that same uh, kid pellet um, as well as complete grass hay, um, fresh water. You know, they have the bucks probably have one of the bigger pastures on the whole property. Um, just enough room to move around and, you know keep them busy too. Yeah. Not, um, not feel like they need to jump a fence and try to do something. Yeah. Right? Well, yeah. and just not be confined. We just learned early on that small spaces for bucks is just not for us. It doesn't work out. Um, so 
all our bucks actually live in the same pasture too. So um, they kind of have to get along whether it's breeding season or not. <laughs> um, yes. Same with mine. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> same here. Yeah. So we pull bucks out when we have to breed and sometimes that, you know, is a rigmarole and sometimes it isn't, but that's my husband's job. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, So, yeah, so they get grass hay, uh, the same um, kind of kid grower pellet that the kids get with ammonium chloride in it. uh, And then just fresh water, pretty minimal stuff. Yeah. Now, do you guys seed your own pastures for your animals? You know, we've been pretty lucky. Uh, we haven't. We've been here at this property since 2004. Ooh, that makes me old. Um, <laughs> and honestly, we have yet to do any kind of um, pasture repair. But, you know, the pasture for our does, I mean, it's green and it's there. Uh, and they do graze a little bit. But literally, you know, I mean, if you're if you're managing at a high level and providing, you know, high quality feed, if you're in the barn, they're in the barn, (laughs) you know, and so they graze a little bit, but I certainly don't have a rotationally grazed dairy goat herd. (laughs) So, Um, so my situation's a little bit different where, uh, I rotate my animals. Um, they have a dry lot, which if it's yucky, rainy out, they get kicked out of the barn and they have like a little shed they can run into, um, and they have hay and fresh water and all that good stuff. Uh, but if it's nice out like it's been, I rotate them. So I have a couple areas on our property, which is not, we're not, this is not agriculture area, right? If you didn't know any better, you'd say that you missed my farm because we're smack dab in the middle. Well, not in the middle, but pretty close to a town. Um, so for me, what made more sense was the first year uh, we got the goats. We just kind of put them on the long weedy stuff. Um, and then I, I started getting a little bit geekier with it and I did kind of a, a pasture blend made for, uh, horses and, and show cattle, I guess. And this year, after this year, I'm thinking, um, I might switch them over to like, it's called, uh, a triticale. Triticale. Yeah. Yeah. Triticale. Yep. So it's, uh, my uncle who has a Holstein dairy, I started to use it um, and he actually bails it up once it gets no longer. That's really what it's made for. Uh, But it also grows pretty well in hot or cold weather. Um, So we're thinking about switching over to that. Um, Yeah. We see a fair amount of triticale come through the lab um, from, and I should say, you know, we take samples from around the country. Um, Mm -hmm. So, and we have lab like five or six different lab locations, but um so, I mean, triticale is highly digestible, especially when it's young like that in, in a pasture mix. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why people are using it. Um, it's, a, it's a highly digestible forage um, that, you know, you can kind of get some of those combined results out of, you know, where it's not a strict legume, but it's not a strict grass per se. Um, it, it's like a wheat rye hybrid type of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it works really well I was gonna in say, pastures like if, that. If just to, um, for the... Yeah. Sorry, I was going to say, for those who don't know what, what it is, a brief explanation. But I think you guys just got yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's really started to become more of a popular mix uh, that people are using, especially for like, you know, those Holstein dairies or whatever dairy cow dairies that are out there, um, just because it's and it grows like wildfire. You know, it's just super 
super good stuff. Um, but they're also still sticking to the the orchard grass, Timothy grass mix, and all that old school stuff here out in the east that we use. <laughs> so you guys also test people's people send in uh, pasture, I guess mixes to you to to test it. Obviously, that's not like the hay test where you just poke a bale and bring out a sample. Um, so are they just cutting it and sending it to you, or what are they doing with that? Yeah, actually, um, as a timely question, um, kind of in comparison. So we see fresh samples as you know, we see fresh pasture samples. We see ensiled, you know, samples. We see mm-hmm. dry hay samples. We see grains. We see mixes. We see manure. We see everything. Um, in the case of a pasture sample, um, you would handle it just like you would handle uh, what we call an alfalfa scissor cut. So in the Midwest, I don't remember doing this uh, when we were growing up per se, but um, they monitor first cutting alfalfa pretty closely. And so what they do is um, as farms, you know, as, as, you know, Memorial Day is ticking closer, you know, and as fields start to change, um, there are cooperators in the countryside that uh, um, usually feed companies that work with extension, for example, and they go out and every like two days a week, they'll sample from the same field on the same farm and they'll take a, a scissor cut, you know, literally take scissors out in their field um, and take a scissor cut and send it into the lab. And we'll analyze that, you know, for feed quality and those types of things so they, they can kind of plot and graph kind of how the quality is changing and how the height is changing, you know, over that two week to three week period. Um so that farmers can then optimally time when they might uh, start cutting their first cutting alfalfa. Well, your pastures would be the same. Um, So the key to getting your pasture sample to the lab, though, with a fresh sample is to um, get it there as fast as possible or potentially put it on ice, um, you know, or something like that. Because, for example, let's say you cut your pasture sample on Friday and put it in the mail, and then we had a 90-degree weekend. Yeah. And it sits at the post office or wherever it sits for two days. Mm, it's probably then, building a little bit of moisture. In the uh, yeah. And then it gets to the lab, and they it's like brown and grody and disgusting. Yeah. yeah. Um, so with those fresh samples, um, speed is key. So like if you end up you know, figuring out where your lab location is, potentially you might be able to drop it off. Or um, like I said, um, you could potentially freeze it. Um, that's not going to hurt the sample really, you know, at all. You could just stick it in the freezer. Right. And then you might be able to use, you know, one or two day mail um, to get it where you need to get it. Um, but there are, you know, labs, regardless of, you know, labs that they all have calibrations that they use for samples um, that can run anything from dry hay to fresh hay to, like I said, ensiled feeds to, to wheats, to straws, to you name it. Um, all of that is, is ready to go and, and used almost every day. So, Right. And I think it's also important for people that are growing their own hay or have their own pastures <clears throat> to also do a soil sample with their uh, for their yeah. pastures or for their hay grounds, whatever they're doing, um, yeah. just because that's where it starts, right? So you need to see what, what your soil is deficient in and go from there. Uh, and and get whatever seed is would best fit your soil if you're not trying to amend it by adding any kind of extra minerals or whatever to your soil. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that, yeah, it's just really important stuff. Now, also just to touch on, uh, do you guys use any supplements at all with your with your dairy goats? 
Um, not really. Uh, you know, I'm trying to think. I guess I should back up. I didn't really even talk about our herd that much and where we are. <laughs> um, we just kind of dived in at the beginning. And oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Typical us. <laughs> so you mentioned, actually, what made me think of it is you mentioned how you were close to a town. And um, so we are literally, oh, we are within an hour of the Minneapolis airport. Oh, sweet. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> depending. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we are within an hour of the Minneapolis airport to the south and southwest of the Twin Cities. And we are in a county that is considered a metro county, um, you know, as you, so a lot of, you know, commuter drivers, uh, you know, urban sprawl, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of the same way. There's a major highway um, two miles from us. And when we give people directions to our place, you know, they'll tell us when they get here, like, we're driving here and we thought you were crazy. You know, we're off the freeway and there's these townhouses and we make two turns and it's a gravel road and here you are. <laughs> so um, we can identify with that. For oh, sure. yeah. People, Nate, the first time Nate came to my place, he was like, I think I'm lost. <laughs> He's like, we're in the middle of a town. And I'm like, no, you're not lost. See that dirt road? He's like, yep. I'm like, go down that. Oh, He's like, what? Hold on, hold on. It, 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 wait, it's not a dirt road. Like when going to John's place, it, he said, turn down the dirt road. He's like, it's more like, you turn into the church parking lot <laughs> on the gravel, not on the pavement, and go out the back of the parking lot on the gravel, past these trees, and all of a sudden, you're not in downtown any place. Yeah, John's house. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, as far as where we're located, that, you know, it is, we are close to a metro area. So I get that completely. And, and that actually factors a lot into our feed and forage choices, mm-hmm. because if we had to go to the auction to get hay, we compete with, with, we have, there's a, a racing track 10 miles from us. Um, you know, we compete oh. with that market to get. Yeah. Hay. So you're, you're paying, oh. you're paying racehorse prices like I am where well, you know, getting a hundred pound bail for $33 or I'm smarter and I drive three miles north and get large squares <laughs> see, no. or three hours north. I should say three hours. Oh, three hours. Three. Okay. <laughs> see, yeah. conversely we're, we're here in uh, good old Shenango County where you know, the dairy farms quite frankly are, are dying, but people are still trying to manage the land. So we've got people doing hay on these abandoned dairy farms and so, you know, okay, that guy doesn't have any more hay. I can go over to that guy or that guy over there. But it's a matter of, well, he's cutting fields for the first time in 20 years. And this one's cutting fields that are, you know, overgrown. But, you know, the, the alfalfa was planted last year and it's now three feet high and really stocky. And you really can shop around here. But you've got to be careful of the quality. Right. Yeah. I'm actually a little bit more familiar with that than you would think in your area because my dad, um, I grew up on a dairy farm. Uh, Nate knows that, but, um, and friends know that, but um, my dad sold his cows in 2013. And at that point he decided that he would kind of, like you said, you know, keep running his land, you know, that area, I grew up in Tioga County, and that area is very hilly, you know, not a lot of alfalfa per se, lots of Mm -hmm. grass, that kind of thing. 
Yeah. So he decided he would put hay up and then he actually started raising pigs. So his, his uh, parlor became a farrowing area and he started oh, wow. raising pigs. Um, <laughs> but he has quite a business and is known for, you know, good quality hay. Uh, just exactly those things that you were saying, Nate, to where, you know, the fields have been managed and people know that it's consistent from year to year. He puts up some small squares for people. He does some rounds for people, you know, those types of things. And I don't think there's a year that I've talked to him where he hasn't run out of hay to sell. Um, Especially well, these last him. couple of years, I'm sure. Yeah. So. <laughs> now, John mentioned he's, he's moving towards large bales. And you've mentioned you, you know, have done, you know, some larger bales for your herd. Mm-hmm. Um, other than the fact that you obviously it's a boatload of hay, um, have you noticed any difference between the smaller bales and the larger bales other than the price? Oh yeah. Huge. Um, I'm a huge fan, but the biggest thing for us that held us off for so long, I'll say was logistics. Um, although we have had this property, like I said, since 2004, we actually did not have anything larger for a piece of equipment than a four wheeler until about two years ago. Oh, wow. Well, till 2019. And we bought a tractor in 2019. And I always tell my, my husband that it's the best husband retainer that I have. I make the thing <laughs> happier, but what it has done is it's made handle, you know, cause before then we couldn't figure out like, how would we handle large squares? Yeah. How would we move these around? Like, how do we, it's not going to be economical if we go buy one large square bale at a time. Like that's yeah, silly, no. you know, time is money too. You know, you spend time running around doing these things. Um, my husband's an engineer, mechanical engineer. So he's often thinking about these sort of things, you know, bigger picture than I do sometimes and problem solving. <laughs> um, it comes in handy. Uh, but so once we got the tractor, that, that was really Moving grain and moving hay was the big reasons why we decided to make that purchase. Once we did that, um, we put up some temporary shelters and then storage wasn't a problem. So, so as far as the benefits of the large squares, one is quality. When you when they put up large squares, especially in, in the um, example of alfalfa, there's far less leaf loss because mm-hmm. those large bales are compacted so tightly, the leaves just can't fall off. Okay. And so you're left with a much higher quality product because think about, you know, if you have to move 300 small square bales up into your haymow, every time they go on the elevator, every time you drop one on the floor, every time you put one down the chute, you lose leaves, you lose quality. Every time you move those bales, that doesn't happen with these large squares because there's only so many surfaces on the outside, first of all, and then second of all, you're moving them with the tractor. So you're not like dropping them right <laughs> from here to there. Um, and then, like I said, they're compacted so tightly that they just can't lose quality. Um, so that's the number one thing right there. Just a, just a higher quality, mm-hmm. more consistent forage product. Well, even like I move my, my large bales by hand, you know, I just stack them and god bless you yeah yeah (laughs) well i need the exercise so uh but even carrying them around like that you're not losing much at all so it's i will say the one thing we were worried about was how do we handle shohei right because we well we were prepared last year i actually bought a section of small squares you know i was like there and now i have shohei well then we didn't have shows right right Um, right so this i'm gonna ask how you handled that yeah. So actually this weekend was the first time that, um, 
you know, so this year we didn't buy any extra small squares and we're like, all right, how are we going to do this? Um, so with this show I just went to with only taking seven animals, they all fit in the front half of my trailer. I have a 24 foot gooseneck. And so I was able to put all my tack and, um, we actually took a, I don't know if you know what I mean when I say like one of those white square chemical containers. Yeah. Okay. So, um, we use the metal, the metal brackets on those for hay feeders inside the barn, but the inside of those, the plastic part, Chris basically, oh, last spring cut some down to make raised bed gardens for me. And so we took one of those and he literally put, I don't know, a third of one of those big square bales, probably, I don't know, in like with the tractor in that, um, white container, put it on a pallet and literally loaded it in the back of my trailer. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So when I got to the show, all we had to do was pull it off flake by flake with my cart, you know, and literally I packed the hay feeders on Friday night and I checked them one or two times, but I mean, there was so much hay there. They never ran out. (laughs) Oh, my girls at shows are like every, who was, who was it? Nate, Jessica, she's standing there and she's watching my girls and they're just mowing down. She's like, do you feed them at home or is this just for show? I'm, I don't know Great what choice. it is. I, I don't choice, know what John. it is, but at shows, they're just like, well, I'm bored. Let me just yeah. stuff my face. Mine do the same thing. They're bored. You know, they're used to being out and walking around and doing their thing. And it shows that's literally all they have to do is eat. <laughs> <laughs> yep. so, eat and sleep. But yeah, so, I mean, that was my test this weekend was to try that out. Now, if I were going to a show and we're taking twice as many animals, we, you know, we're kind of working on other options for that. So mm-hmm. like we have racks that we put up in our trailer and we're kind of playing around with like, what would it take to, you know, somehow put hay up there? That's normally what we would do with small squares. So yeah. that's why I married an engineer. He'll figure it out. <laughs> that's a good idea. Uh-oh. Oh, it's my local fire department. We live not even half a mile from the fire department. So we get the whistle. Oh. <laughs> I thought they were um, coming for you, John. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's airstrike. Um, no, we, so we moved to the larger bales mainly because my hay guy ran out of uh, the, the small second cut bales. He had first cutting, which was cow hay. I mean, it was just like just opening one up and smelling it. I knew it wasn't for goats. Right. Uh, you just have that sense when you when you're opening up a fresh bale, and so I elected to go to a different place that gets their stuff from out west, um, paid a good horse price for it, right? Um, but I think this year what I'll do is once my guy is on second cut, which he said next week he's starting his second cutting, which is crazy. Um, he's going. I'm going to buy second cut bales, and then I'll get that really good stuff for like. My doe gem, who's got a hard time when milking, right? Just to make sure she's getting that rocket fuel, as you say, uh, and and able to you know keep keep a decent bloom for shows. Mm-hmm. But I also think people don't realize with does like that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Gem as far as being a milker, right? She's doing her job. She's still thriving. She's just not super showy because of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's healthy, uh, so I think people kind of stress about that and sometimes it's it's okay to say all right well this is a brood doe her daughters don't do that but this is a brood doe that uh, produces nice nice animals and they milk like her but uh, ours are a little bit more vigorous i think at the end of the day people need to realize 
you can do everything you can to keep these animals in good rig for shows, but sometimes it's just not, it's not in them. That's not what they are. Right. I think, you know, it's one of those things where there's different does for different folks, right? Mm-hmm. And just because, you know, I think this is the struggle, right? When you manage a small herd, one, you know, you have, you're going to have those ranges from the doe that's the easy keeper to the doe that you just fight and fight and fight and fight with, you know, for whatever reason. Right. Um, and then, you know, in my mind, that relates to when you have to make those decisions, like in our herd, literally nearly a third of my herd gets sold every year mm-hmm. because we only manage to milk 12 does. And if I want to consistently milk 12 does, something has to be sold. Right. 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 You know, it sucks because you look at these animals and you think, well, that's a really nice goat. But for me, it comes back to what is my goal? If my goal is to walk in the show ring and be competitive, then maybe the doe that's, you know, I'll just use the 24 pound doe as an example. You know, last lactation as a three year old, she was at about 4,300 or 4,600 pounds. Oh, wow. I can sell bucks out of her for days. Right. Yeah. <laughs> dairies. And I, you know, and, and I can tell you what, I mean, for that reason, I mean, she is a moose, a literal moose. And, but you know what? I have a tough time taking her into a show ring because she has a beautiful udder. She has a udder like a Jersey. Um, but when she gets uttered for a show and if she gets even slightly over uttered, her rear pasterns collapse. Oh, oh. And it's not, I'll say, you know, when she's home, she's absolutely fine. You know, she, you, you wouldn't see it. And I didn't see it until the first time I took her to a show and she had a little bit of stress, you know, or something. And those rear pasterns just, they collapsed. And so it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you know, does she stay or does she go? Does she stay because she can sell kids? Or does she go to a dairy where they really appreciate that kind of dough and she can have a long life, you know, doing exactly what she wants to do, which is make milk. Mm -hmm. So, so it sounds like really, you know, and this is something for everyone to think about is I've been kind of doing more listening on this episode than than probably talking, which is for both of you a shocker. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but first off, it sounds like whether the doe should go or should stay really comes down to the owner's goals and objectives. What is your goal with that doe? What is she? You know, do you have a goal with that doe? Well, yeah, you can sell buck kids any day of the week out of her and they're nice bucks. And let's face it, that helps pay a few bills. You know, that, that hay is not cheap. The grain's not cheap. Yep. Um, so she has a purpose there. Um, you may have other does that you're keeping for show quality just to get in the show ring. And, you know, we're looking at that in our barn right now. We're trying to get down to a number, you know, just because we don't want to win her over, you know, a huge number. Um. So you look at what are your goals and objectives per animal and for the herd in general. Yeah, for me, it's it's the bigger picture. I tend to think is what is my goal as a herd? Because 
if I, if I looked at each, I mean, I do look at each and every animal, but then I get in trouble because sentimentality plays in. It just happened this yeah. morning. Um, I have a doe in the barn that I just love. I just love her to pieces. She has this gorgeous personality. She milks like crazy, easy to milk, no problems. Kids like a dream, you know, and she happens to be the daughter of like my herd matriarch. And I realized this morning that in my decision-making process, that's what's clouding my judgment. Um, And so I have to look at it and I often make these decisions saying, yep, I'm in the show ring and that's, and that's what we do. And yes, we have productive does, but I sort of manage by age group almost. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't mean that if you're the only three-year-old, you stay. Okay. I'm not trying to fill classes, but if I have five milking yearlings, like I do right now, um, there's going to be some hard decisions being made. And some people are going to get some really awesome, you know, animals that are going to turn into wonderful two and three-year-olds that just, what I say is they don't match here right now. Um, I look at my herd as a whole and I say, you have to match. Like it sounds silly to say that, but, um, there's a certain way I want the herd to look and, um, yeah. So, but if you look at the group classes and, you know, you go to like national show and yes, everyone thinks about, you know, grand champion at nationals, but there's a lot, um, of weight put on, you know, doing well in get of sire and best three females, mm-hmm. um, because there you're showing the consistency of the herd of the breeding program. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And, and it's not just at nationals, at your state fairs, at your county fairs, at the club shows, you know, if they do the, those group classes, that's, you know, those are the herds that really you want to, if you're looking for a young buck, those are the herds you want to look for a young buck from are the ones who do well in those classes because you get that consistency. Um, yeah, I know. I I tend to sometimes um, when I think about like buck purchases that I've made. So I very rarely, I can't even remember the last time I've purchased a doe, but I will purchase bucks, you know, every couple of years um, and cycle through. And I often find myself going to, those commercial herds that have a registered herd as well um, and looking at bucks because that sort of dairy mentality of mine that I grew up with just never goes away. And so for me, you know, it's important that the consistency is there across a large number of does, right? Um, Production is there across a large number of does and that potentially I can bring that consistency into my herd as well. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, I um, I think what this episode comes down to is uh, you have to do everything you can to make sure that your animals are getting the nutrition that they need to be productive and in bloom for show uh, or just in bloom in general if you're not showing, right? Um, you have to give them a strong foundation to build off of. And if you're slacking on feed and not – I mean, I haven't tested my feed – but I, this makes me think that I probably should. Um, and you know, if you're doing all the right things and you're still not getting that bounce back, then maybe it's time to look at other things. Maybe do a fecal, see what parasite loads are in your herd or, or just come to, you know, the come to Jesus moment. Okay. This isn't a showy dough. 
Right. <laughs> so well, I, think... I think part of it is it's better to know than to not know, right? Yeah, so right. Even if even if you decided to just take stock of what you have, you know, even if you're not showing, I mean, it's not about showing. It's it's just if you're managing a small herd of your own for whatever purpose, um, just taking stock of the resources you have so that you can better use them. You know, in a perfect world, if you had a couple different hay sources that you could pull from and you could then know what you have and then use that strategically, right, for for different animals in different stages of life, mm-hmm. that would get you so much. You'd just be using your resources so much better, right, and so much more effectively, and you'd probably save some money in the long run. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I had a college professor, Dr. Wagner, who said, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. You want to manage it, you need to be able to measure it. Yep. And I think that's really what, what I'm getting from this is, you know, if you want to manage your, your nutrition, you got to find a way to get the data to be able to manage it. You need I to be would able wholeheartedly to agree with that. I mean, and of course, that's easy for me to say because I believe it. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, yeah, right, right. I mean, the proof is in the data. The proof is in the information, right? In my mind, wouldn't you rather have the information, even if it just validates what you thought you already knew, right? I mean, then you can just tout that you were an expert, you know? (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I mean, in my mind, it's just so much better just to know and have that confidence that you know what that, whatever that variable is, that you know what that answer is. Um, That's kind of the way I attack any problem or issue or non, you know, or use of resources. It's just, just better to know. And when those things don't cost that much money to do, it's just seems like a no brainer to me. Right. Yeah. I, I think I put that right up there with, uh, like fly management on a farm. Not a lot of people put a huge, you know, put stock into how to manage their fly population. But if your animals aren't comfortable and aren't able to lay down and just enjoy chewing their cud and process that food that you're pouring into them, uh, then, you know, maybe you should look into ways to eliminate the problem with that, um, especially this time of year. Um, so you know, you're buying that great feed and, and you're doing everything you can, but they also have to be comfortable. So I think it yeah. just really comes down to management when you're talking dairy goats or any livestock. Yeah, uh, They're going to prosper with good management. I mean, I kind of think of it too. I mean, a lot of people have, I'll say, off-farm jobs or non-ag related jobs, right? And a lot of those jobs might be in like, customer service, right, or healthcare or something like that, where in customer service or even technical service, your job is to make someone else's day easier, right? Mm. And, you know, in our industry, if I can help you decipher your feed test and make your life easier because you now understand it, I've done my job. If the nurse that takes care of you, you know, for your doctor's appointment makes your day easier by providing some information, they've done their job, you know. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing for the goats, right? By doing these sort of routine management kinds of things, you're making their job easier and more successful. Agreed. Yep. I think that's a wonderful spot to end this episode on, Laura. It has been a pleasure to get to know you and you know learn about uh, what you do as a job, but also for your herd. Um, if people wanted to find you on uh, you know, your herd, your sonids on, on the Facebooks or on, on the web, where would they go? 
Uh, well, we have a website, of course, and that's, um, so the herd name is Four Seasons Farm. With ADGA, we go by the initials of FSF, so it's a little bit of a phonetic <laughs> uh, finagle there, but the first letter of the three the three words. Um, so our website would be fsfgoats.com. Um, you can also find us on Facebook by searching that or searching Four Seasons Farm Dairy Goats. Um, I'm also on Instagram by that same FSF goats, um, as well. So, and I think our contact, my contact information is on all of those places. Perfect. Thank you. All right. Well, Laura, again, thank you for being on Nate. Always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, this is, I'm John, and this has been ringside an American dairy goat podcast. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Ringside, an American Dairy Goat podcast, is not an affiliate of the American Dairy Goat Association. All opinions or information regarding the ADGA does not represent the registry.